You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, welcome back, everybody, and thanks for joining us today. And welcome to the season of Lent. I want to wish you all the very best on your Lenten journey. As you may have noticed by the length of this episode, we have a packed show for you today on the topic of faith and fundraising in 2021. But first, we're going to start with a special message from Catholic Purchasing Services and a brief conversation with my friend Kevin Campagna, who is the Director of Sales and Service. Well, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you here today. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was excited uh, when you reached out and when we made the connection, you know, um, Catholic Purchasing Services, I've been familiar with you for many, many years. I remember shopping out of uh, the catalog when I worked at, uh, at my parish 20 some years ago. And I'm sure you've evolved quite a bit from them. But uh, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with, uh, with Catholic Purchasing Services, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about your organization. Sure. Well, thank you, Jim, for for having me and and giving us a little bit of time. And mm-hmm. um, Catholic Purchasing, I, I you know, is a uh, an organization. You know, to your earlier point, we've been around for over thirty five years. Um, we are uh, a company um, within the Catholic Church, so we are a nonprofit five hundred one c three organization. Our mission uh, allows us to work exclusively with religious nonprofit organizations. So that would be Catholic schools, Catholic churches, archdiocese offices, um, you know, elder care or any hospitals that are affiliated with, uh, with, with nonprofit uh, on the religious side of things, mm-hmm. uh, faith-based, right? So yeah. um, I've been with the organization for a little under a year now, mm-hmm. um, working as, uh, as the sales and service uh, director. And, um, you know, Within my time here, we've we've started to evolve a little bit. Uh, traditionally, we were a catalog company. Again, to your earlier point, mm-hmm. um, where we would publish catalogs on a, on a you know two or three time basis annually. Um, but now we've we've tried to focus a little bit more uh, as our society shops more on the web and everything sure. becomes a little bit more web focused. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing more of our customers uh, adapt, so we're uh, revamping our website and doing a lot more on the on the uh, email marketing side uh, to try to get the word out. And and you know, uh, thanks to again you for having us. One of the biggest hurdles that we find is uh, we talk to customers and we talk about our pricing is mm. you know best in the industry. I mean, so mm. if you look at you know where we. Uh, offer our products, whether they be candles or host or or vestments or apparel. Um, you know, we have a, a, a very broad product line. We have national agreements with Staples and with Sintas uh, and with Xerox. You know, so big multinational companies. Um, our pricing is 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 first in class in the in the industry. And then we also offer convenience. So a customer instead of having to go. Uh, to Staples to buy some of their supplies there, and then they would have to go to uh, uh, you know Cintas, or they would have to go to Amazon, or they would want to go. They can kind of work through you know the products that we have, whether it be again Jan Sand, office supplies, break room supplies, paper, etc. 
So uh, we're now, you know, reaching out and, and doing a little bit more on the social media side as well as uh, email marketing to kind of get the word out. But one of the biggest things, as I was saying, people we, we speak to say, well, we didn't even know you existed. You know, thank you so much. You know, your pricing is great. Your service is impeccable. But we just got to get the word out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you guys serve coast to coast, right? The entire yep. United States. Wonderful. Yep. Our charter uh, allows us to work with organizations throughout the continental U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, or I should say for throughout the U.S. and its properties. So mm-hmm. we, we have some uh, some business in Puerto Rico and, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, et cetera. Not a ton of business there, you know, with mm-hmm. freight being what it is to get it over there. Sure. Uh, but yeah, our charter allows us to work with those organizations. Well, that's wonder, wonderful. And, and um, what's your website? How can people find you? Uh, our website is uh, www.catholicpurchasing.org. Okay, yep. super. And you uh, had mentioned you're running a special contest for Catholic schools. Tell us a yeah, little bit about that. Yeah, you know, that. Uh, we, we kind of uh, were talking amongst ourselves in the fall and identified Catholic Schools Week as a, um, a very, uh, uh, certainly a very worthwhile um effort and a worthwhile event and working through some of our contacts at NCEA. We know it's a big priority for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we were thinking amongst ourselves, what could we do? So we established our uh, CPS, which is our Catholic Purchasing Services uh, acronym, uh, our leadership awards. Um, And we uh, gave out $500 awards to four different schools across the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, And those checks were mailed, you know, a week ago or so. So they should have those in hand. Um, you know, we identified schools that had really done a nice job uh, persevering through, mm-hmm. we have to all admit, some of the most challenging times any of us have ever seen. So we felt it was it was a worthwhile effort to, to try to give back. And, and we selected some schools that have done some great things. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it sounds exciting. And if anyone was looking for information about that, they can find that on your website. Yeah, for sure. We have uh, we have uh, all the information on our website, uh, mm-hmm. certainly about the leadership awards. Uh, what we've also done too is, you know, to try to uh, introduce um, to or try to introduce any customers that aren't familiar with Catholic purchasing. We've mm-hmm. chosen um, probably eight or nine different suppliers, and we've chosen maybe four or five products from those suppliers and put some really hot feature pricing. Uh, on our site for them. So anything from PPE to uh, tech equipment to um, uh, furniture, uh, you know, so anything that they might need, um, Mm -hmm. you know, coming into, and we're starting to see schools prepare to reopen. Um, So, and then we know that there was some, some CARES Act money that's been activated recently. So Mm -hmm. there's a way for us to help uh, any of these organizations, you know, please visit our website. We have our, our customer service people who are here to help. Um, you know, we can quote on projects, large or small, uh, but we've got a very diverse portfolio. Oh, fantastic, Kevin. Well, we'll leave a link uh, to Catholic Purchasing on the show notes of our episode. And uh, to you and to everybody at Catholic Purchasing, thanks for all you do to support the mission of the church. It's so important. Many of our schools, our missions, our parishes are, are on shoestring budgets, especially these days while you know, we're weathering this pandemic. And so thanks for all you do to help. Yeah, we know every every dollar has to go that much further this uh, in these yeah. in these challenging times. So uh, anything we can do to help. Wonderful. Well, thanks for being on the show. We'll all right, Jim, again. thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you soon. 
I want to thank Kevin for stopping by our show this week. I'll be certain to leave a link to Kevin and Catholic Purchasing Services in our show notes. Now, let's get to work. On the show today, I host a panel with four top-notch fundraisers on the topic of faith and fundraising in 2021. This presentation was held in partnership with the Nonprofit Alliance, and you'll learn more about the work of the Nonprofit Alliance by visiting their website at tnpa.org. And so, without further ado, here is Faith and Fundraising in 2021. Well, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you happen to be around the country watching the, this webinar or listening to this podcast. Welcome. My name is Jim Friend. I'm a managing director for Changing Our World and the host of the Advancing Our Church podcast. I just want to welcome all of you uh, who have joined us today. We have a terrific turnout. We're so grateful for all of your interest in today's topic, uh, fundraising and philanthropy in 2021. And we have a wonderful group of panelists who are going to share their wisdom and their experiences. Uh, and all of you also will have the opportunity to offer your feedback and, and ask questions during this podcast. So just to start, I'd like to say thank you to our partner, the Nonprofit Alliance. A big thank you to Shannon McCracken and her team for all the support in setting this webinar up and certainly the committee. It's been a great experience and we're so grateful for your partnership on behalf of, of Changing Our World. Our Advancing Our Church podcast is a Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement podcast. And for more information about that, you can visit us at advancingourchurch.com. And Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World. And we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm. And we've been advising nonprofits and corporations for over 21 years. For more information about our firm, please visit us at changingourworld.com. And as I said before, you're going to have the opportunity to ask questions. You can type them into the comments section, and uh, they will be sent to me throughout uh, throughout the next hour. Before I introduce our wonderful panel, we're going to go ahead and start with a prayer, as we should start all things. And uh, this is a little stewardship prayer that I've, I've used for many years. And so let us uh, bow our heads and put our, ourselves in the presence of the Lord for a moment uh, and start this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving God, we come to you in thanksgiving, knowing that all we have and all that we are is a gift from you. In faith and love, help us to do your will. We are listening, Lord God. Speak your words into the depth of our souls that we may hear you clearly. We offer to you this day all the facets of our lives, whether it be at home, at work, or at school. To be patient, to be merciful, to be generous, to be holy, Give us the wisdom and insight to understand your will for us and the fervor to carry out our good intentions. We offer our gifts of time, talent, and possessions to you as a true act of faith to reflect our love for you and our neighbor. Help us to reach out to others as you, my God, have reached out to me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, well, let's begin uh, by uh, just introducing our wonderful panelists. I'm sure that uh, I know many of you uh, are very familiar with all of them, and, and so we're just going to go around the horn here real quick. We'll start with uh, Joe Gilmer. Joe, welcome to the show. Uh, Joe's passion for welcome. philanthropy uh, has translated into more than $865 million in support for a variety of philanthropic initiatives since 2001. He's the Executive Director of Development for the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Washington. He's had a heavy focus on faith-based and Catholic initiatives throughout his career. 
He's worked closely with hundreds of parishes across the United States. He has directed major annual appeals, multiple-year capital campaigns, assessments, studies, and provided planned giving counsel for many dioceses, including my home diocese of Allentown, Baltimore, Chicago, Fresno, Los Angeles, Raleigh, Richmond, and Washington, D.C. Joe regularly presents on a range of philanthropy topics for the religious sector. He serves on the board of directors for the Nonprofit Alliance Foundation and the advisory board for the Nonprofit Alliance's Catholic Development Council. And Joe also serves as an advisor for I Give Catholic, an annual crowdfunding event that inspires faithful stewards to give Catholic on Giving Tuesday. Joe, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Jim. And Lisa Quist. Lisa serves the Edmonite Missions as the Chief Development Officer, leading all philanthropic strategies that support the transformative programs of the missions. Her vocational goals are accomplished by inspiring current and prospective partners to support the vital ministries of the missions that provide both services and solutions. Previously, as the leader of the Gift Planning Division of the Mission Advancement Team at Marino Fathers and Brothers, Lisa successfully led the major gift and plan giving program. Throughout her nearly 12 years of leadership at Mary Knoll, Lisa demonstrated her proven success in the areas of team development, project management, strategic planning, and integrated donor relationship management. Lisa holds a master's degree in organizational leadership and has earned professional certificates in fundraising from Boston University and strategic human resource planning from the University of Michigan. She serves as the vice chair of the National Catholic Development Conference and is now, or she, she had served. I should say, NCDC, and is now an advisory board member of the Nonprofit Alliance's Catholic Development Council. She is committed and dedicated to sharing her love of the mission with others and to helping those most in need. Lisa is also the religious education program coordinator of her local parish, comprised of nearly 200 students, where she also serves on the parish council. Lisa, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim. It's my pleasure to be here. Lisa, you're a busy person. I was wondering, what do you do between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m.? You might have a hole there. You could fill in your uh, your calendar there. You are a busy Plan person. the next day. <laughs> Plan the next day, right. <laughs> Kevin Callahan is the Director of Events and Community Relations with SOAR, which stands for Support Our Aging Religious, located in Washington, D.C. Over the past two decades, Kevin Callahan has served in senior development and advancement roles at the National Catholic Education Association in Arlington, Theological College, the National Seminary of the Catholic University of America, Notre Dame High School in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, the Covenant House in Times Square and Fort Lauderdale, Florida. In his events role at SOAR, Kevin strategizes with the president and CEO, senior staff, board of directors, regional event committees, honorees, sponsors, vendors, and volunteers in successfully planning and executing SOAR special events, including annual galas in New York City and Washington, D.C. In his community relations work, he seeks to build cooperation and support in advancing the mission of SOAR. He's a product of 18 years of Catholic education in the Archdiocese of New York. Kevin is a graduate of Iona College and has served on the Iona College Alumni Association Board of Directors for 16 years Kevin and his wife, Anne, have two children and reside in Alexandria, Virginia. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, Jim. Great to have you here. And last but certainly not least, uh, Sarah Hanley. Sarah is the president and chief executive officer for the Catholic Foundation of Greater Philadelphia. With more than 25 years of business development and leadership experience, Sarah is responsible for the growth and strategic oversight 
of the foundation and leading a team of dedicated staff who support the foundation's mission. Sarah has been with the foundation since its founding in 2013. In her previous roles with the foundation, Sarah was responsible for the annual Catholic Charities Appeal and the St. Charles Borromeo Seminary Appeal that collectively raised nearly $20 million annually. Is that all, Sarah? $20 million annually. It's a lot of money. She also <laughs> led the foundation's Mission Advancement Services team, which continues to help grow the fundraising and development efforts of many Catholic institutions across southeastern Pennsylvania. Sarah's commitment to the mission of the foundation stems from her lifelong dedication to her faith and her hometown. As a native Philadelphian, Sarah now gives back to her community and her faith in ways she could have only hoped for. Today, Sarah and her husband, Jim, live in suburban Philadelphia and have two sons, She's an active member of St. Kevin Parish in Springfield, where she's the president of their Women's Club Board of Directors. She's a member of the Executive Board of Elementary Education for the Archdiocese and an advisory board member for Villa Maria Academy Lower School. She's also a former board member of the National Catholic Development Conference. Prior to her time with the foundation, Sarah worked in the Office of Stewardship and Development in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia as the Director of Appeals before transitioning into the nonprofit sector. She had a highly successful career in business development and sales leadership, working for Amerigas Propane and National Car Rental. Sarah is a proud graduate of Drexel University, holding a BS in marketing and management. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Jim. Sarah and I have known each other a long time, so I had to give her a little bit of ribbing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were 12 when we started. No. Anyway, here we go. Let's get started on these questions. We're going to start. We have some key areas today that we're going to talk about with our panel. We're going to talk about technology. We're going to talk about working with religious and clergy. We're going to talk about the, a variety of ways in which uh, philanthropy has changed in the last year and, and really also how, how do we foresee it in the coming uh, year of 2021. You know, certainly there are certain ways in which we have adapted that we don't necessarily want to go back on. And we'll talk about those too. And then there are ways in which we're making the best of a challenging situation and yet, there have been some great success stories. And I know that you all have wonderful success stories to share and some great wisdom to share with us as well. So let's start on the topic of technology and special events first. And as I said, technology doesn't necessarily roll backwards. We know that there are lessons that we've all learned during the pandemic that will certainly influence our development operation and plans moving forward. And also, you know, when you think about how technology has changed, how have you seen that engagement has increased through the use of technology? And then can you provide some examples? And I think everyone on our panel here probably has something to share on technology and how that's impacted your operations. So I'm going to start with Lisa. Lisa, why don't you start with us? Sure. Thanks, Jim. So, of course, we've all had to embrace technology and Zoom calls has really been probably at the top. So whereas before we were so used to out there visiting with donors, now we're Face to you know to to find other ways to do that. So you know having some successful Zoom calls um, has been, of course, I think probably on everyone's you know plate. Also, we've incorporated text to give. That's been something that we've been able to incorporate into our program. Actually, even into our appeals, having the option to text to give. You know, using the resources to develop obvious webinars. So we had a, a plan, virtual plan giving webinar, which was also successful in terms of having those resources available to utilize them during the webinar, but then to also to send it out to 
the donors using email and Facebook and other um, digital platforms to support that work and to encourage those to consider plan gifts with the missions. Of course, email, you know, utilizing email to its fullest advantage. I mean, I really think that we had a season of giving campaign that we actually kicked off on Giving Tuesday and ran every Tuesday up until Christmas. And it really was a great success. And we it was through email and through Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we had a virtual event planned for 2020. But unfortunately, it did have to get canceled. But we're excited because we are looking to hold a similar event that we had planned for the summer of 2021. So um, so we've had some, some great success in all of these areas. Mm-hmm. And we'll just continue to embrace all of them in 2021. Thanks, Lisa. How about you, Kevin? Well, uh, in a similar way, as Lisa shared, I think we were, like many other nonprofit organizations, forced to, just about a year ago, to pivot from two longstanding, like 34-year annual gala, dinner galas, uh, one in New York and one in Washington, here here in Washington, D.C., and we had a pivot to the world of uh, virtual galas. What did we all know about virtual galas uh, before 12 months ago? We knew kind of the video production side of it because we'd had organizational videos. But how do we translate that to those who would be attending these galas virtually? The first step was to basically vet uh, 12 to 15 partners who we thought might be able to help us accomplish that. We whittled that down uh, to uh, two or three We ended up uh, actually with two partners, one virtual partner who helped us with the video content and the editing and those types of activities. And then we also secured a vendor who helped us with the actual platform, as well as the merchant services side uh, and accepting donations. Similar to what Lisa mentioned, it kind of opened us to the world of uh, text to donate, otherwise known as text to give. So that was something that was new to us as well. So, you know, what were the pros of that situation? Making lemonade out of lemons. Uh, the pros were that we could reach out to a lar- larger audience. We could provide a gala environment virtually to attendees who never in a million years would come to New York or Washington for our galas. What's the, uh, what were the cons? 34 years of traditional in-person galas and not having that opportunity and not being able to see our donors uh, face-to-face. Technologically, it went very well for us, so well, and uh, uh, it looks as though 2021 is going to be a virtual world for us again. Sure. Makes sense. Makes sense. Thanks, Kevin. How about you, Sarah? Thanks, Jim. You know, a, a lot of the, the same things that, that Kevin and Lisa have said apply to us. But I, I think I think one addition I can make is that we found uh, attendance to events and attendance for meetings has increased exponentially. You know, mm. people whose schedules normally wouldn't have permitted them to be able to to attend uh, board and committee meetings, you know, fortunately or unfortunately can't travel so they can they can participate. The same thing with uh, with scheduling donor meetings and prospective donor meetings and and really sitting down with our fund holders. You know, all of those things became um, a, a little bit easier due to the accessibility of, of technology. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's taught us that, 
is someday when when life returns to whatever normal will be, we can't forget what what we've learned and our abilities to brace what we have to uh, to be able to to get people together. We also launched a, a speaker series this past year, and because of the virtual environment, we were able to have speakers participate who live near us. And it normally there would have been travel time and expense and everything like that. So that's been a a plus. And then we've been able to help some of our clients with fundraising events that could be almost exclusively social media based with, you know, with a link to give electronically and have a really a broad audience to promote those events too. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, the reports on 2020's electronic giving, especially where around around parishes. I know Blackbot uh, typically re- publishes a report because it's going to skyrocket in 2020. I mean, compared to what it was, without that support, many of our parishes would have had to shut their doors, and, and many of our schools too. So that's that's tremendous. Joe, tell us what's going on in Washington around technology. Sure. I was thinking of, of a couple examples on both a, a parish level, what we're seeing, as well as, of course, an archdiocesan uh, level. On a parish level, uh, one of the first things that really flourished quite quickly was the idea of the live stream masses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were in a diocese where masses were, were shut down, either a diocesan decision to do so or a county decision that was shutting down effectively anything in terms of groups, you had to innovate or you were not going to have engagement within your community. And what we found is we, we saw a couple dozen parishes that had live stream masses prior to the pandemic. But by May, that number had climbed into nearly 100 of the 140 parishes of the archdiocese. And what was neat about that was once they got comfortable with doing live stream masses, and sometimes it was as simple as somebody's iPhone that was on a tripod mm-hmm. to a little more sophisticated uh, breakout, suddenly other things started to dawn on many of the parishes. And that mm-hmm. was engagement with parishioners on programs that were also virtual. Mm-hmm. So we saw the comfort with Zoom or go-to meetings or anything that's similar of a virtual meeting environment go from folks that would go, like, I haven't done that before, to becoming adept to it by the summertime. And now all of us feel like we do nothing but stuff that, that's on Zoom now. And that really has an impact that goes far beyond today because it could still be an integral part of activities in the future. And so, you know, we've seen those things, the mass attendance, the engagement meetings. We also noticed that we had a Sunday TV mass that we jointly participate with, with the Basilica, as well as the uh, Diocese of Arlington. And the attendance, uh, the eyeballs on that, it's both broadcast and streaming, skyrocketed from about a million that they figured per year to almost three and a half million in this past year. And so much of that was on the, off of the YouTube channel, not just the broadcast channel on it. Mm-hmm. On an archdiocesan son, um, you know, there's going to be some other things we're going to talk about the archdiocese a little later in our program here. But I think the big thing that jumped out for us is, you know, we were pivoting to help parishes. And so we were building out landing pages that had all the parish links to their giving pages and fundraising activities there. But I think from a technological standpoint, what was the biggest change we made within our operations? And it came down to, what are you going to do for the NPU? So we got lucky this past year that the pandemic didn't bite until after our NPUs had happened. But 2021, there's no avoiding it. So we had to fundamentally re- look at how are we going to engage that very important part of any diocesan's 
uh, activities that Inpu. And what we built out was a digital pledge card. And what a digital pledge card is, is something that's beyond just an online giving form. It's one in which mirrors what somebody would get in the pews with that envelope, including a bill me later option, which, by the way, some of the uh, online giving providers, you know, might give you a hard time about that because their initial thought is, if I have a bill me later option, I don't get the merchant fees. So why would I want to provide that? So we convinced our provider that it's for the long term, it's very much a good business model for you for the long term, because many of those people might turn around and might uh, want to fulfill those pledges via giving. But what was important for us was, and in Pew, if somebody didn't have their credit card or checkbook or cash on them, the beautiful thing with an Pew pledge was that you could pledge an amount, send it in, and then you would get a reminder statement later or a series of them if you pledged over time. So we needed that option. So we were able to get that into place, and that made a big difference for us. Also, to make it easy for pastors who have to present to have a landing page, it's very simple. Everybody gets to the same landing page. It's got a drop-down menu of parishes. You click on your parish, and now you've got a digital pledge form that has parish already embedded in it for those parishes You know that really care about that you know, attaining their own local goal. So that fundamentally uh, was a shift. Structurally, we still kept it within the comfort zone of pastors, mm -hmm. but um, it was one in which we knew that the adoption of technology had made such a leap that we thought, and, and we're seeing it as, as we uh, speak in these last couple of weeks, that folks are using their phones to go ahead and make that gift in the pews. So we're not as devastated as you might imagine it to be if you just couldn't do it at all. So those two areas, I think, are areas where technology has changed for the better and will be there far beyond the pandemic. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate that. And I'm going to come back and talk about uh, parishes and, and working with our clergy uh, and their missions. But we had a quick uh, little follow-up question to Kevin. Um, you work with an aging population. Um, and one of the question was, how have you compensated in working with those who are elderly who may not be as familiar with technology? Are there ways in which you've been able to help them to adapt to some of these new platforms? Well, we, we've obviously tried to make it as simple as possible. Really, the constituency that, that I work mostly with is the donor side. Sure. Uh, the religious communities and uh, the sisters, brothers, and priests who benefit from the work of SOAR. That's another yep. side of the equation. Right. Um, but you, you would be very surprised because in the grants that we give to religious communities, a lot of them are uh, to purchase technology, iPads, in an attempt to help those religious stay in touch with their own congregations and their own communities, mm -hmm. but also with their families. They are uh, about as adept as probably we were before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So um, let's talk a little bit about the clergy and religious. I've been uh, enormously impressed with how our clergy and religious have adapted to the ministerial needs through all the missions that they serve. You all serve with clergy and religious in different ways through your ministries and, and missions. What role have they played to engage their parishioners or their donors? And how have you leveraged that to raise funds for your ministry? Uh, and why don't we start with uh, Sarah? Thanks, Jim. I agree with you. I mean, our, our pastors and, and priests within the Archdiocese of Philadelphia have been phenomenal. They've adapted to this ever-changing landscape almost from day one 
to pastors, you know, setting up you know their iPhone to try to record mass, mm-hmm. to uh, eventually raising funds to put in a, a, a complete system so that live stream mass uh, can continue beyond the pandemic. So, and when you really think about their roles, there there's so many challenges that that they faced. I mean, they're they're essentially frontline workers in this environment, uh, going to hospitals and and anointing the sick and and doing every everything that they normally do, but with you know with an extra layer of caution and and everything related to to COVID. So pretty early on, CFGP, you know, realized that there was going to be a need to to help our pastors more, and um, we created programs to assist in their efforts. One was uh, the Parish Support Initiative or or supportmyparish.org, where every single parish within the archdiocese uh, was was given a, a, a link to uh, to share with their communities, whether you know their parishioners or just people who wanted to support that parish to help supplement Sunday offertories. And um, the response from the parishes again was was phenomenal. The pastors were were sharing that information on social media, on the website, you know, talking about it during their live stream masses. You know, through their willingness to help their their parish and respond, you know, we collaborated with with the pastors and and bolstered their efforts and and really you know increased financial support for the parish communities. We've done a couple of of other things too that I can talk about later if time permits. Well, staying on that uh, same vein with uh, di- a diocesan approach, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about how the clergy have adapted uh, in Washington, D.C.? Sure. Thank you, Jim. You know, Sarah and I, um, you know, we're about 150 miles uh, from each other. Hmm. In fact, actually, my hometown is uh, in the suburbs of, of Philadelphia, and it's 178 miles uh, to my mom's house from door to door from where I'm at. And so we're in many ways, very similar uh, circumstances in terms of that initial thing of let's help these parishes to be able to be in a digital world for things. And so, you know, I think those things are critically important and they just help pastors and parishes to be able to be positioned again for success down the road. There was um, a couple of things that when we were coming into April and out of April, uh, we had already been doing vetting of online giving providers just to know them. And I do this, uh, Jim, your colleagues have uh, met with me in, in Washington when I would vet fundraising firms, mm-hmm. just so I had in my pocket of a X, Y, and Z parish needed help in X area. I could not just throw them a large list. I could say these three probably are going to make the most sense for you. Mm-hmm. Well, we were already in the midst of that for an online giving providers when the pandemic had hit. And at the time, we had 40 parishes out of the 140 um, that did not have an online giving presence. And in about a month's time, we were able to pivot, help them get them online. But then more importantly, we said, okay, step one was to get you online. Step two is we're going to help drive people to their site so that you're getting that support directly. And in fact, they were actually uh, you know, mutually exclusive uh, on it. But our program was also called uh, the Parish Support Initiative, that same idea of drive support to the local level. And then after that, we have a program that was existing already called Take the Next Step. It's an offertory enhancement program. So one of the three legs of Christian stewardship that traditionally relied on a letter, 
um, some stuff at the uh, in the pews and follow up and things of that nature. Very simple program um, for parishes to be able to, to give a boost to their offertory each fall. And what we've done is we've had pastors get comfortable with their online giving. And then what we have done is that we have taken an, oh, by the way, you could also make your offertory online and set recurring to being not just, oh, by the way, but that would actually be the front-facing drive of an offertory enhancement program. Mm. So we had about 15 parishes do that this fall. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of parishes that are just too nervous in this environment, but they know they need it. So what I anticipate is getting them ready and getting my team ready to support them when we get to this coming fall, when I think it might be 50, 60, or 70 parishes that are going to want to do it at the same time. Mm -hmm. But the idea here was they got comfortable with one thing just as the parishioners were, and then it was like, okay, you got there. Now let's take it another step further for you to be able to get wide adoption and use in areas like recurring giving that can help you far beyond the pandemic for summer and things of that nature and get people used to really thinking about their giving and seeing it and being able to access that um, very easily on an online environment. Mm -hmm. Great examples, Joe. Great. Lisa, tell us a little bit about uh, how the Edmonite uh, missions have been uh, adapting through this. Well, I mean, the one thing we did wanted to make sure is we've reached out to all of our donors. We wanted to make sure that their needs and, and, and to ensure that we're receiving prayer intentions, which were then shared, of course. Uh, we have mass daily at the Edmundite Missions Chapel. But both um, Edmundite Mission Father Steve and, and Father Richard adapted very quickly. We immediately put into play a virtual mass um, every Sunday. And we also incorporated in May, we had a virtual rosary. We built that into one of our appeals, so it went out to our donors. We shared that with them, and it was, uh, I think, just a great, inspiring moment for everyone to come together and really just join and, and say prayers for what was happening in the world around it. And, of course, we, we, we also had some assistance from, our, from the uh, Father Richard and both Father Steve in terms of putting some prayers together, which we sent out to our donors an email. And also um, we had inserts that went into uh, the mailings that we had. But also, too, with Pope Francis declaring this as a year of St. Joseph, we wanted to ensure that we have been incorporating that into our the communications that we're sharing with our donors. So we gave them some um, prayers that they can incorporate into their daily lives as we continue to to work through this all together. And then, uh, of course, just having the ability to continue to just outreach, continue to the, increase the outreach to the donors and incorporate as much as we, we can in terms of them understanding that we're in this together mm -hmm. and that and, and we're accepting all prayer intentions. I can't tell you how many times I myself have actually prayed a, a Hail Mary with a donor at the end of a, of a call. So You're absolutely right. There's an opportunity for us as laity to step up to the plate as well and pray with our donors and the people that we serve. And certainly during this um, pandemic, there's been no shortage of need for pastoral care, whether it be just praying with someone or checking in mm -hmm. on them. I don't think you've ever had a better excuse to pick up the phone and call one of your donors just to see how they're doing and how they're managing through all this, whether you've had a recent conversation with them or if it's been a year. Th thanks, Lisa. Kevin, uh, how have the uh, clergy uh, been ad adapting and, and supporting you and in, in your mission through uh, through this? So, uh, Jim, we, we've been blessed through the years. Uh, here at SOAR, we have a tradition of having... Uh, particularly our religious sisters on our staff 
uh, it may fall more in line with uh, stewardship and quote unquote donor relations, but including our own president, Sister Kathleen. So we, we've always been in touch with our donors uh, at all levels at all times. We too, uh, like Lisa mentioned, uh, we reached out to um, our donors just to make sure that they were safe at the beginning of this pandemic uh, and to be assured that we're praying for them uh, on a regular basis. Uh, the other thing is, is that we've also been blessed in that because the end all recipients or beneficiaries of the work of SOAR, uh, being religious uh, sisters, uh, brothers and priests, they often, uh, and the congregations themselves, often become the best ambassadors for SOAR. Mm -hmm. So they spread the word to their donors, perhaps, um, of this tremendous uh, organization called SOAR, which provides for them as they age along. So, so in a different way, it's always been kind of ingrained within the work of SOAR for us to have religious helping religious. Well, you're, and your case for support, Kevin, is uh, always so popular with donors because, you know, we all want to say thank you to those men and women who have, have offered their, their lives of service and vocation. So I can imagine that they always appreciate hearing, you know, from, from the clergy. Thank you. They're our heroes. They really are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to turn the conversation a little bit towards donor advised funds and, and IRAs because we've seen a sharp rise uh, in the use of both. Um, a little statistic, Schwab Charitable, one of the largest national providers of donor-advised funds and other philanthropic services, reported that its donors supported nearly 100,000 charities in 2020 through 830,000 grants, totaling $3.1 billion. Compared to 2019 dollars granted to charities increased 35%, and the number of grants to charities rose 39%. And the use of IRAs was also significant. Sarah and Joe, from your perspective in working with the foundation and with uh, the archdiocese, how does this compare to what you're seeing and what do you see as gaining steam in 2021? Joe, why don't you go first? Sure. I'm going to make this nice and short in terms of what we're seeing. It's like this. Uh -huh. It's just skyrocketing, yeah. particularly um, I think Sarah will be able to even better speak to donor advised funds because her foundation is actually serving folks who would like to set them up. I see that from the side of the, uh, of the checks coming in that are coming in from donor advised funds, but the IRA transfers in particular is skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. So for the IRA transfers, uh, for those who, who don't know, you can now give from your individual retirement account, your IRA, traditional or Roth, and you can give it from directly from your plan to a charity up to $100,000 per person per year, as long as you're 70 and a half or older. And a little slight change in the law, now it is at 72, you have to start by law taking required minimum distribution, which can cause all kinds of unintentional negative impacts on individuals in terms of their finances um, in a number of tax areas and, and other areas. And so you would get some people to say, geez, I wish I didn't have this because it sometimes can cause more of a headache than good. Now um, it's a permanent feature of the charitable landscape. It used to just be in two-year increments. Right. They could give it to charity instead. And that's important, particularly for this environment, our faith-based communities, that the IRAs, we have, generally speaking, an older donor demographic. 
So this is an area where someone is wondering, you know, how else could I support this organization? Letting them know and say, by the way, there is this thing you might not be aware of. Mm -hmm. And also there's tax benefits potentially, whether you itemize or not, you know, to learn more, go here, we can walk you through it. What we've seen is several hundred percent growth just in the last year and a half of the IRAs. Donor advised funds are growing as the general uh, level of film philanthropy is going on. And it's gotten to the point, uh, Jim, that my tax summary letters that I send every January that's got encapsulates everybody's giving Mm -hmm. is actually broken into three broad categories. Cash equivalents, like your typical cash, credit card, stocks, things of that nature. IRA giving, which is treated slightly different from a tax perspective. And donor advised funds, which are gifts that are already been thanked by the granting institution. And so I call those third-party gifts. And I can tell you that my tax summary letter has gotten pretty complicated in the last couple of years, and I think that's a, a good problem to have yep. because these two areas are exploding. It's exciting. It's exciting. Sarah, what would you add to that from the Philadelphia perspective? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I echo Joe's, Joe's comments. We've seen a, a, a large number of donor-advised funds opened even in just the, the second half of calendar 2020. I think they're, they're a combination of, of reasons why, but people really want to take care of, of the causes they're most passionate about and direct their giving to the areas they, they care the most about. And a donor advised fund, of course, helps them do that. And even so far this year, we've, we've, we've seen another increase in donor advised funds. You know, as, as we've talked about so far, we've really seen so much good you know, coming from from people that this year in in the face of of so many challenges, but a donor advised fund really just gives someone a vehicle to do more good. <laughs> so, and then what what we've seen because we we hold donor advised funds, we've seen such an, an increase in the uh, in the distributions and the and the. The, the giving from those funds. The, the two largest areas that, that we saw were, you know, Catholic services and outreach programs, mm-hmm. and then uh, health and essential needs programs uh, last year. I mean, that's really where, you know, out, outside, of course, of, of parishes, and then followed by education and youth development program. So those were the areas where our donor advised fund holders were directing their distributions. Super helpful. And and Lisa, I know you also work with uh, IRAs and donor advised funds. If somebody's, you know, listening to this uh, this webinar, this podcast, um, you know, what what can they do to continue to promote that and and how are you leveraging that uh, with the Edmonite missions? I mean, I would share uh, Joe and Sarah's enthusiasm. There's $120 billion of assets in donor advised funds. So we need to ensure that it, we're including the, the information of how you can give through your donor advised fund and marketing it in every communication channel that you have that goes out to your donors. And also to have a designated landing page on your website, there's lots of available resources. You can have the widget or you can get even more sophisticated and, and, and build more advanced pages that allow your donors to make it very simple for them to complete a gift from their donor advised fund. Also, too, is to, to dig right into your database and determine who are those donors. So you can look for words such as family foundation, community foundation, family fund, charitable fund. 
all of these keywords. And if you have done an age append, you want to look at anyone who's older than age 40, because most what we're seeing is that as people who are over age 40, who are establishing these donor advised funds and to include them in your strategies, your mid-level strategy. Don't be afraid to include it in acquisition. Even if it's just a call out that you accept donor advised funds, Mm -hmm. there are organizations that are receiving larger gifts in their acquisition. So, you know, test it. Don't be afraid to test it because it will result in larger gifts. Not only that, it could result in sustainable gifts that you receive every month. And then that, of course, leads to more relationship building and could become larger gifts, plan gifts in the future course, don't forget the financial institutions. You don't have to acknowledge, you don't have to send an acknowledgement to the financial institution, such as Fidelity or Schwab. But what you can do is you can send a communication or letter thanking them for their role in helping their clients fulfill their gifts to support the missions. That's an important thing too. And last is don't forget the half my death challenge. For those who don't know about it, it's out there. It's half my DAF, half my donor advice fund, DAF.com. Um, last year, I sent out a postcard to all of our donors who, within our database, who have a donor advice fund, included something in there about the half my DAF challenge, which began in 2020. And we did receive, you know, gifts as a result of that. There's more information about it and how it works, which happy to help anyone or answer any questions, but all the information is actually out there on halfmydaft.com. Excellent. Excellent advice, Lisa. And uh, as you say, we uh, there's, there's so much money out there and we need to be availing ourselves of that and, and not be shy. So even if it's putting it in your materials just to get it started and then check with uh, check with someone on how you can, can receive those funds, that's excellent. And I hadn't thought about sending a, a thank you to the institutions that, that serve you on that. That's a great idea. Well, let's, and, and Jim, uh, yeah, go ahead. And Jim, real quick on mm-hmm. that too, when you do reach out, because I think that's a fantastic thing that Lisa's suggesting mm-hmm. to reach out to those institutions. Mm-hmm. Also make sure that you check the, that it's easy for someone to find you in their databases. Yeah. So mm-hmm. sometimes you might be like the Archdiocese of Washington. Our technical name is Roman Catholic Archbishop of Washington. Mm-hmm. So if they don't, have us colloquially as Archdiocese of Washington, which somebody might type in, they might not find us. And so finding those donor advised funds, the vanguards, the fidelities, the Charles Schwab's, the community foundations, checking in with them to make sure that you're listed in a way that's easy for folks to find you um, there is important. And it gives you that chance to say, and thank you for what you do for the community. I think it's a, it's a, it's a two-way win street there for you. So uh, let's talk a little bit about stewardship and donor retention. We know that, uh, before uh, the world changed, donor retention was already a big challenge for us, and there's always a lot of competition around giving every year. Um, the number of nonprofits alone continues to, to go up every year, and certainly this year uh, has been no different on, on the number on, on the needs that have been presented. There's certainly, as I said before, never been a better time to steward your donors. There has never been an easier conversation starter to just pick up the phone and talk with a lapsed donor. And certainly stewardship of all your donors, including those who have made first-time gifts to help the pandemic, is, is critical. Please share with us some of the ways in which you have kept your donors engaged during 2020. And, and how is that shaping up? Do you think you'll repeat or try some? What new things are you thinking about in 2021? I'm going to go back uh, to Lisa. Sure. 
So the missions through the pandemic, through the hurricanes, we never stopped serving the poor. Our doors never shut. Even when the lights went out, we served sandwiches. Mm -hmm. um, and we never stopped communicating with our donors. So we made sure that we were very relevant. I think that's been a very important aspect of what the way you reach out to your donors, there wasn't a single piece of mail that went out that wasn't relevant to what was happening with, with the pandemic and with pretty much everything that was going on in 2020, which was a very unique year, being relevant, being transparent, defining what those needs were, and then letting them know how we were responding. How are we partnering? What are we doing to meet these needs? And then what role do they play to help meet these increased needs? Also, every month we had an impact report, letting them know exactly, you know, sharing some vital statistics of how we were doing in terms of number of meals being served. And we put that out every month on our website. And we also sent an email out and it was important to keep that. That's all part of the transparency. And then just focusing on, on really relationship building. I think 2020 also raised the idea that donors may have new interests, new passions, mm -hmm. you know, their intentions may have changed after whatever they may have personally experienced in their lives. Yep. And so um, having the conversation with the donors really helps you formulate how your 2021 is going to continue and how you'll reach out to those, to, to your donors. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, Lisa, one of the things that we've encouraged our clients at Changing Our World is not to just not to presume anyone's situation. You know, um, there have been folk there have been uh, there's been a lot of loss. Don't want to minimize that in any way. But there's also many folks who have just simply transitioned their offices to a home office and, and are continuing to do fine. So I think in some cases we find that we're maybe afraid to pick up the phone because we're not sure what's going to who's gonna, what's going to happen on the other end of that. But I think being bold and, and, and reaching out to folks is, is so important. Kevin, uh, from your vantage point, uh, how have you been keeping donors engaged and what are your plans for 2021? Well, I, I would say that we've, we've kind of kept to uh, the simplicity of, uh, of our strategy all along. And that is, you know, regular touches with donors, uh, checking in maybe even more regularly with them uh, to make sure that they're, they're safe and, and uh, let them know we're praying for them. Uh, I wanted to touch a little bit upon what you just said, Jim, because I remember, you know, 12 months ago, uh, starting on my endless circle of uh, webinars uh, and, and listening in, one of the first webinars I heard, uh, the presenter said, do not stop asking, because a lot of the, and I've heard this, a lot of charities have decided that uh, the world is is in a bad place and they're going to step back and they're not going to ask like they normally would. Um, and that presenter said that the important thing is leave that in the hands of the donor. Only the donor knows whether or not they can afford to support your, your charity at this time. But don't answer the question for them um, because you, you may be answering it incorrectly. And that, you know, since that first truly was one of the first two webinars I attended, I've thought about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, some some people through this pandemic have uh, uh, life has gone on. Uh, life is okay. Yeah, they may be working from home. Uh, maybe they aren't even working from home. Uh, there are definitely people who have been hurt, and you don't have to look far for that. Dealing with donors at the levels that perhaps we deal with them, a lot of them were not adversely affected, and maybe are feeling even more compelled to give back. 
Mm-hmm. So um, I just wanted to echo what you said, Jim. Yeah, excellent point. And I think we've experienced that with all of our clients. Those who have been bold and moved forward are now on the other end of this and in so much better situation than at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, and some of our clients have done incredibly well soliciting seven-figure gifts and and raising lots of money for their for their mission and moving this forward. Um, Sarah, how about from your perspective, stewarding donors? I, I think Lisa hit the nail on the head with the word relevant. Hmm. If there's one thing that, that we learned uh, in 2020 is that the unexpected is going to happen. And, and just when you think, you know, you've you've got you've got it figured out, the next unexpected happens. Keeping your messaging uh, to to donors and fund holders uh, relevant and helping our, our our clients through through that process was really critical. And also, we during that, I guess during the beginning of of the pandemic, we knew there was a need to a- a- adapt, and uh, so we we created the emergency relief fund, most appropriately titled. Um, we yes. uh, internally we refer to it as the ERF, but mm-hmm. um, you know it, it was a way that we could quickly respond to the needs of uh, food insecurity throughout the archdiocese and help Catholic Social Services provide food to all of the uh, the food pantries that that they support throughout the five county Philadelphia area. The emergency relief fund will will continue beyond the pandemic, but the messaging will will change depending on what the need is at at the time. Right now, I mean, it still still continues that uh, Catholic Social Services food pantries are the are the main beneficiary. We also really we talked with with our donors and fund holders about the areas that were the most important to to them and listened to them and met them with cases and and uh you know that that were were close to uh close to what they were looking for and that was helpful too. Joe anything to add? Um I think actually uh I would have piggybacked right on to Sarah's point uh but it's the next topic I think which is a uh, case for support so yeah. I'll Sure. I'll I'll wait for the next topic. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to give you then the, the, the first uh, opportunity to respond to that then. Case for support, as you said. Everyone has one. Some of, you know, many of you have different cases for support depending on what you're raising funds for. Um, a strong case for support is obviously a key for any fundraising activity. And, um, many of us or many of you had to ad- ad- adjust your case for support. Have you had to modify your case for support? And if so, how did you communicate that? to your donors. Joe, you want to take that first? Yeah. Like I said, um, just uh, dovetailing right into the, the the previous topic, there are some organizations where they could pivot and actually launch a brand new program altogether all that would mm-hmm. meet the needs for COVID-related um, activities. Um, for many, um, there's not that necessarily that ability to go ahead and create a whole new program. But what you can do is take a deeper look at what is the array of services that you offer? What's your current case for support? And look into it and say, are there some areas that we could pull out and put a highlight on, mm-hmm. put a spotlight on? Like a diocese, for example, with an annual appeal or something related to that, there's probably 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 ministries. Mm-hmm. And there may be things in there that you haven't highlighted before that now are relevant. 
And then six months from now, something else is relevant. So that ability to pivot, look deeper and say, within this larger case for support, can I pull certain things out? And in some cases, can I pull it out so far as to make it a separate giving option? And which is one of the things that we found has been very successful. Food pantry programs, needy parish fund programs, some other very specific elements of the appeal Offering it as a separate giving option um, has generated additional funds beyond the annual appeal, for example. And coming back to the discussion about the donor advised fund, with some specific needs that you're able to offer beyond the general bucket, mm-hmm. it allows for things like a donor advised fund um, supporters to be able to target some um, some giving, such as a food pantry project. So even if you don't have the ability to necessarily launch a new program, take a look inside of what you are offering and what could you highlight and bring to the forefront and to say, you may not be aware of it, but your support traditionally has gone to this area. And this is something that has got a greater need now. And six months from now, when that changes again, look at your case for support again. Excellent. Uh, Kevin, you want to jump in on this one, case for support? Sure. Yeah. So uh, again, we we keep the message simple. Uh, the case for support for SOAR is to provide resources as we have for 35 years. What we did, though, is we created uh, what's called a rapid response COVID grant program, which is like uh, an additional grant program uh, where we awarded uh, almost half a million dollars to religious communities who were most adversely affected by the pandemic. So that's one way that we modified our case of support. And I think, you know, based on uh, what 2021 will look like, it'll be interesting. But, the, you know, that certainly uh, the, the uh, pandemic has created a compelling reason, really all organizations, to look at other ways to raise funds. Lisa? Yeah, I mean, our case support, I think, became even more um, predominant. And what we need to do was modify our programs. So the congregate dining that that we have out of our nutrition center, our Bosco Nutrition Center, that moved into carry out meals. And so what we did is we we actually shared that message, you know, of how many meals and what the costs were related to that. You know, moving over to carry carry out meals, you can imagine that that does impact uh, your overall cost. So mm-hmm. we did share that, you know, with our donors. And of course, education, that impact um, on the on the children in our community mm-hmm. in Selma and in the rural areas that we serve, they're all virtual. So we knew that there was going to be the need. And so we created an academic resource center that takes place right at our community and recreation center. And, you know, we've continued to modify the programs to, to meet the needs. And again, you know, I wanted to put a little bit more emphasis on partnerships. We really have partnered with um, various foundations and organizations to help support not just these immediate needs as a result of COVID, but to support the continued growth of the programs. Mm-hmm. Did anybody uh, push back on on the changes for your cases for support? This is, let me just throw this out to any everybody. If you communicated it and they said, no, that's not what it was for before, did anybody get any pushback on that? It's amazing, isn't it? As long as you properly communicate that, most donors will understand that you had to pivot. By the way, uh, Kevin, uh, we, um, we we decided a change in our world. Anybody says pivot, it, you have to put a dollar in the swear jar. You you have the... You have the... <laughs> I'll, I'll send it off to you and or circle back. <laughs> Take it offline. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, how about you uh, changing the case for support in, in the archdiocese? Really, what, what we did was uh, we, like, like Joe, with with Catholic, like the Catholic Charities Appeal, 
we were able to highlight different beneficiaries that the, the needs were immediate. With our fund holders, we were able to actually work, you know, to, to create the, these other types of funds like the emergency relief fund and the, the parish support initiative. So because we're both a community foundation and a nonprofit consulting firm, we, we could work uh, you know, we could work with clients in, in both ways. Excellent. Excellent. Well, before we go to final thoughts, because I know we're at the top of the hour and um, certainly for our um, for our guests, uh, we will have a copy of this on the on the Advancing Our Church podcast available next week. So if you do have to run, we understand. We're going to go just a few more minutes uh, here. This uh, first this next question is for Kevin around SOAR. Um, one of our guests said that I th- they think it is a sore campaign or at least a sore supported campaign showcasing religious getting COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, this would accomplish several points, promoting vaccinations, informs people of religious groups that may not be well known, and it also promotes sore. Is that a sore sponsored activity? Are you aware? It's interesting because it, it, it's just coming to light now. Hmm. I think that... Um, Quite honestly, uh, the government is not even necessarily aware of some of the needs of uh, aging uh, sisters, brothers, and priests. Uh, and Sister Kathleen, uh, the, our president, and I uh, were speaking about that just this morning, that uh, we're getting the word out uh, through our friends uh, to the highest sources within the government, mm-hmm. uh, take my word for it, that um, there are a lot of uh, these re- religious congregations and communities who are falling through the cracks. And, uh, not only do, not only would they qualify, uh, for vaccines, mm-hmm. um, but they are in desperate need of them. Mm-hmm. Um, all you have to do is pick up a, a Catholic newspaper and read about, uh, a religious community losing eight or nine members mm-hmm. w- within a very short period of time. So I think you'll see in, uh, the days ahead and the months ahead that um, someone has to be a voice for these uh, com- uh, religious communities uh, that often fall through the cracks, not only in uh, uh, expense, you know, uh, aging expenses that, that uh, face them every day, but now uh, with the advent of the pandemic, um, they really need a voice. And uh, mm-hmm. we, it's coincidentally, we, uh, Sister Kathy and I were just talking about that this morning. So, uh, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep, uh, singing to the right people. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Kevin. The next question is, uh, does anyone have a recommendation on a CRM, a database? And, uh, when you, if you have an answer for this, if you could, I, I think it's important to differentiate whether, uh, you're recommending this one for a large organization or a small organization, because there's certainly some big cost differences depending upon which CRM you go with. But, does anyone have any thoughts on a CRM that you'd recommend? Yeah, Jim, I think, you know, when, when it comes to a database that also serves, of course, as CRM or even have built-ins with a uh, online giving provider, uh, it really is going to come down to what is your side? What are your needs? Mm-hmm. So what my recommendation would be isn't necessarily one given provider. In fact, where you write down, what are the things I'm looking to get out of it? What are the, what are my pain points right now? Right. And then reach out to, a number of, of uh, CRM um, firms out there to see what kinds of things they can offer to be the solution 
And then, of course, take into account costs and not just what the monthly fee is, but other things relating to building out reports for you or, you know, are they going to be more hands-on with your data where you're going through them or is it something where it's going to be more self-serve? You'll hear about the traditional stuff such as like Razor's Edge, um, which is pretty common. We use a program called Portfolio from Emergent. Um, Many parishes will use ParishSoft, um, you know, uh, donor perfect like programs and things of that nature. Um, The online stuff, there are a gazillion of them. Uh, Anybody that, that reached out to you, Jim, I can I can at least share with you, if you're looking specifically for an online CRM, mm-hmm. I'm happy to share with you the spreadsheets that we built out when we were vetting um, all the faith-based ones uh, that oh. were engaging with our, our diocese, our parishes. That's very helpful, Joe. Thank you. I'm with Joe. I actually have used Portfolio, um, mm-hmm. love Portfolio. Right now, I'm using Razor's Edge, mm-hmm. which also has, of course, excellent um, capabilities. Sure. But I'm happy to speak to either anyone on any either one of those software packages. I've used both mm-hmm. and helped really develop uh, some of the major gift pieces in the portfolio with the reports and things. And Razor's Edge, you know, it's been over two years, and I'm I'm still learning, to be honest with you. Oh, <laughs> so, I was going to say, Lisa, I've never known anyone who used all the features in Razor's Edge. <laughs> right, it's just, right. It's endless. It is endless. <laughs> And uh, here's an interesting one, um, and especially since what Bitcoin Bitcoin hit what forty five thousand dollars or something in the last week. Just so uh, <laughs> we have a one of our guests would like to know: Have any of you begun to accept cryptocurrency uh, for donations? I have not heard that uh, from my end happening just yet. How about any of you? I can tell you. I can tell you. We would be open to it if somebody came to us and said, I, "I'd like to make a gift, but I want to do it via Bitcoin." You know, we're not opposed to taking a look at it. Right? It's a matter of going through probably our brokerage firm to say, you know, how could we affect this? Because what we don't want is is it just to be handed over, much like if someone was going to hand you a coin collection, would you potentially accept it? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. It all comes down to how would you be able to turn around and liquidate it? Just like any gift, you don't ever have to accept any gift if it doesn't make sense or it's going to end up costing you more money than what it's worth to be able to, to do it. And there's ways to do that politely um, for it. Bitcoin is just an, just another form of, of currency. Sure. And so you know, it just comes down to uh, if you get that and you have a brokerage firm for your traditional stocks and securities to connect with them and say, is there a way for that to be accepted much like a regular security and then be able to be liquidated out on a market with some ease? And what would the steps be for that? Absolutely. And yeah. it, and if you do go to all that trouble to receive it, make sure that you have a policy that as soon as it's accepted, you sell because <laughs> it's about yeah. one of the most volatile the currencies. <laughs> That's what's right. um that's what I was going to say. I think it's yeah. a great question. And I yeah. think actually it should raise a flag that we should all look at our gift acceptance policies yeah. to, to define if, if we're in that situation, yeah. how do we receive those gifts? So, yeah. Yep. There's definitely a paper in there for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, I'm going to go around the horn here and, and invite you all just to offer some final comments on our topic today. This has been a great conversation. We got a couple of nice comments from our guests about how much they enjoyed uh, our dialogue today, and uh, why don't we uh, why don't we start with you, Lisa? Any final thoughts for our guests today? Sure. I mean, I think 20, 2020 was a unique year, and twenty twenty one, I think, is just a new era of fundraising for all of us, mm-hmm. including our donors. Um, I think we have to uh, embrace it and make it a transformational year. And 
I think some of the key words today that we heard, you know, relevancy, uh, partnerships, um, is this communication. I would definitely be looking into donor advised fund gifts because that's growing and will continue to, to reap uh, long-term benefits to your missions. Um, and to take a look into really focusing on, on how you can build off of that and look at the extended relationships. In other words, looking at really building some generational loyalty. So that's that's best things I can take away for the particular today. As we have to enter the new normal, as they call it, uh, I think the important thing is to stick to your mission, embrace technology, keep it simple, and don't stop asking. I uh, I, I think the the past year we have um, we've learned so much about ourselves and our capabilities. I won't say pivot. <laughs> but, but we all have um, and uh but our our donors and our our fund holders and and everyone and and the the fundamental knowledge basically that everyone wants to figure out a way to to help those in need mm-hmm. and you know as as catholics that's that's our response to our baptismal call so how can we continue with that momentum and help people facilitate their philanthropic interests. I think that's, that's where we, um, you know, we need to focus and, you know, we've, we've, we've also learned that the fundraising landscape that we knew was ever changing is really ever changing. (laughs) And um, so the, the way that we can communicate that to, to all of our, all of our partners, whether they be uh, clients or donors or fund holders uh, and, and our own staffs, um, you know, that that will help us uh, continue along this this very interesting path. <laughs> Absolutely. Three quick things, um, but uh, specific items, I think, uh, could be a takeaway for anybody on the call. The first one would be now that you've probably gotten much more comfortable with your online giving capabilities. Now take it to the next step, uh, whether it is uh, a call to action for um, having folks consider recurring giving or to be able to utilize it across other types of programs or special ways to take in things like pledges and what have you. Really take those programs, just like we're talking about CRMs, utilize those, those platforms to the best of their abilities. All the bells and whistles, really check them out. See what your program um, and your provider can provide for you to really enhance that outreach and that experience for donors. The second thing would be something we've talked about today, and that is um, make sure that you're offering and reminding donors that there are other ways to give. I even go so far on on mine and I say smarter ways to give. And I'm sure I get a lot of people like smarter, what, my check's not good enough for you? But we know what it does. It gets them to click on it and say, well, what is smarter? And then they see all these other things they might have thought about that might pertain to them. Maybe not, but maybe so. And then the third thing was to take advantage of natural fundraising opportunities. So what would I mean by that? Well, in our faith-based space here, we have a lot of different um, religious holidays and observances. Um, take advantage of those when they're particularly related to your mission work of what you're doing. And also don't forget about things like Giving Tuesday. So Giving Tuesday is an easy slam why am I reaching out to you now? It's because we have Giving Tuesday. We want to participate that day. And you can start two weeks early. I would recommend the planning in September, but start two weeks early and have it be your gateway to your year-end 
um, rush with that year-end activities. So really look at some of those things and go, you know, now that we've gotten more comfortable in this digital technological space, let's really take it to the next level. Couldn't agree more, Joe. Great words. Excellent. Well, Lisa, Kevin, Sarah, Joe, thank you so much for the great conversation today. I I think I speak for all of our guests. It was it was informative. It was insightful. I think we all learned a couple things uh, that we didn't know before, at least, and uh, some things that we can apply to our own missions and our own ministries. And again, on behalf of Changing Our World, I want to thank our partner, the Nonprofit Alliance, for partnering with us in this webinar. Certainly, there'll be more to come in 2021, both from the Nonprofit Alliance, but also from Changing Our World and the Advancing Our Church podcast. We will have the full video uh, and an audio version on iTunes available through our podcast within the next week. And we'll send everyone who registered for this uh, webinar a little link uh, with an email, uh, an email with a link uh, to this episode. So if you'd like to watch it again or share it with your colleagues. Once again, thank you to everybody and uh, have a terrific week. And we'll talk to you soon. God bless. I want to thank Sarah, Joe, Kevin, and Lisa for being on our panel this week, and of course, our partner in this presentation, the Nonprofit Alliance. If you'd like to view the full video presentation of this podcast, please visit the show's episode page on advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for another great show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 21 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have another great week. Take care, and God bless.